Warriors, how are you guys doing out there this evening? Um, tonight is February 19th, 2021, and uh, tonight you guys will be um, hearing a great discussion on the movie, the horror movie, Get Out, that was released in 2017 and directed by the one and only Jordan Peele. Uh, tonight, I have with me uh, two guests who you guys do know. Of course, you guys know Nathan Dilla because Nathan Dilla has been on various episodes, especially this uh, season, this month. Actually, he's been on almost every other episode. Uh, he was on last night's episode of Antebellum and uh, Sunday's episode, My, uh, my uh, Bloody Valentine. And yeah, so you guys remember Nathan Dilla. Say hi, Nathan. Hello, Horror Freaks. How y'all doing out there? And then, uh, well, Allison hasn't been on for a while now, but you guys hi. remember Allison Stonewell. Hello. How is everyone? And today is her birthday. Happy birthday, Allison. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I hope it was good. I hope you had a good day today. Yeah. I did. And what a good idea. Yes. You're, you're ending it with the podcast. That is yeah. excellent. And with a good movie, uh, um, too. So. Agreed. <laughs> a, a White Castle and, and a horror movie sounds good to me. Hey, you know what? That's true. I did get White Castle. Yes. Uh, and all, all my Michiganders that are warriors know all about the White Castles. Or <laughs> anybody that, that is familiar with Harold and Kumar. Well, yeah, them too. <laughs> Although I do, I do buy the uh, the White Castle cheeseburgers in the frozen section at the grocery store, so I have kind of had it. Yeah, but but baby, yeah. they do not take the place of the real thing. Although, oh, yeah. although I I do like the White Castles, but and I know I'm gonna get a little bit gross right now, but it get it gives me gas. It gives me gas. So I can't really eat them all that much. <laughs> well, they don't call them sliders for no reason. <laughs> so I can't do them all that much. But my fiance loves them. Bryant loves them. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's why he wants to go home. He wants to go home to visit, but he also wants to go home because he wants those white castle burgers. <laughs> oh, uh, well, guys, let's um hop right on into Get Out. Oh my gosh! You know, I I did do this um episode, or I I did do this movie last year, and you guys were supposed to be on the episode with Adrian Garza. Well, it was just me and Adrian, and we um we actually we did ha do a good episode, but I so yeah. wanted you guys to be a part of it that I told myself. We're going to do it again next year because I want Nathan and Allison's opinion on this movie. And you know, for the life of me, I can't remember why, like what happened. Well, yeah. you know what? It, it was on a Thursday. I did it on a Thursday. That's first of all. It was on a Thursday night. And, well, I and me being on. I don't know what it was. It was probably, probably something going on with me. Yeah, maybe. May maybe. 
Uh, but uh, all I know is it was just me and Adrian. We did have a good episode, but I wanted your opinions too. Because uh, it would have been a great, uh, diverse group of us because, you know, I'm African-American and Adrian is, 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 is actually Mexican. So it was good to have his opinion as well because, you know, with him being uh, under the minority, not he might not be black, but he's still a minority. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, right. you know, it was good, you know, to have his opinion. But I really wanted yours and Nathan's opinion. Uh, so I'm glad to have you guys on here. I know you guys have a bunch of notes, especially Nathan. I know Nathan has notes galore. So we're going to have Brian Hunt into the. I've gotten better at following your lead and taking copious amounts of notes. Yes. I, I have to take notes. Otherwise, I will forget everything that, that was yeah. up in my head. I will forget it. I have to, yeah. I have to jot everything down. So, guys, uh, the first question, first and foremost, what do you guys think about Get Out? And uh, uh, Allison, we're going to start with you first, since you're the birthday girl. What do you think about the movie Get Out? I mean, obviously, I think it's a brilliant film. I think that, obviously, this is Jordan Peele's first and he's from such a comedy background that when he decided that he was going to come out with a film that we all knew that was more, I kind of didn't know how to feel about it. Yeah. Because horror and comedy, they're a far cry away from each other, you know? It came out of nowhere. He was totally doing his sketch comedy show and then decided, like, all of a sudden, like, hey, and I remember watching, like, Deidre Kids for it at completely intrigued. <laughs> like, really? Because I like to see a whole bunch. And so I was like, all right, well, I like him and I like what yeah. he does. So, you know, I'll totally give it a try. And yeah, I was totally blown away. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant, in my opinion. I think it's amazing. It is. And I was completely surprised, pleasantly surprised by how it ended up. And Nathan, how about you? What are your feelings about it? I mean, I love, I love it. It's definitely like Allison said, a brilliant film, uh, such an original film. Um, kind of one of those movies that fills in the gap where there wasn't this type of story in the horror genre before. It's interesting that y'all mentioned the disparities between comedy and horror because I was actually watching the behind the scenes stuff and, uh, Jason Blum actually, uh, and Jordan Peele both. Um, said that, you know, one of the reasons he took the chance on George Peel doing a horror movie, um, cause obviously George Peel, even though he's known for his comedy, he's a huge horror freak. Um, and they said one of the reasons he took a chance on him was, was because there's a lot of similarities as far as sh- shooting comedy and horror movies in the sense that in one, you're trying to find that perfect timing for the laugh. And then mm-hmm. the other, you're trying to find that perfect timing for the scare. Oh, that's um, true. Yeah, so I can see that. At the same point. Yeah, and so, yeah, so he, you know, he was saying he knew that he had that comedic timing and that he would bring that same, like, ability to have that timing with the horror. Um, this is a movie that, honestly, the more I've watched, the more I've watched it and the more I've researched it, um, like, the stuff about, like, the order of coagula and like um, the sunken place. 
plays and all this other stuff. Like the more I've gotten into it, the more I've watched it, the more I've, I've fallen in love with it. And you know what? I agree with you, Nathan, because if you listen to my uh, episode of last year, I said that, um, you know, I, I didn't really, it, it wasn't that I didn't like the movie. I, it just wasn't my cup of tea. But the more that I, I watched it, um, this time, you know, because I have to watch it for this episode too, you know. Right. So the more I watched it, the more I was like, okay, okay, yeah, I see what Jordan Peele is doing, and and yeah, you know, I yeah. I kind of like it. I'm not gonna say that yeah. I love it, you know. I kind of feel the same way about this movie as I do about Us. I don't love it, but I don't hate it either, you know. And and uh, last. Uh, time I said it wasn't my cup of tea, but it actually is because, like I said, the the more that I, just like you, Nathan, the more that I saw it, the more I was like, oh my gosh, you know, because you see something different every time you see it, every time you watch it. So, and that's what happened with me. I saw a little bit, you know, of something more every time I watched it. So yeah, we just rewatched it a few days ago, and I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm like yelling. I'm watching it. <laughs> to me, it's become like I've I, I've learned to appreciate the type of horror that it is. The more I've watched it, like when you know when comparing Us and Get Out, I always thought Us was more of a horror movie. But having watched Get Out again and everything, oh yeah, so like, Get Out is actually a a, just in a different way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I can see why people do love this movie. Like I said, I don't, I don't love it, but I do like it a lot. But I can tell, I can see why people, especially people of color, African Americans, you know, I could see why they would, you know, uh, love this movie. And to all my, to all my listeners out there, I have been doing, um, uh, this, you know, the month of February. It is. African American Month, and I've been doing movies um, that are. Um, if you've been listening to any of my podcasts um, this season or this month, um, I have been uh, doing uh, African American movies, uh, whether they have been directed by African Americans or just starring African Americans. Um, I've been doing the movies. I did Antebellum last night, and the week before, I did. Uh, uh, Ma and us, and it's just been great. I, I've I've enjoyed uh, getting to know um, or getting to talk about the movies that was made from my race of people. Is is it's been entertaining. It's been um, informative. So I, I really like it. I you know yeah. I, I really love it. And so let's get to the questions, guys. Uh, my first question is, who was your favorite character? And Nathan, we'll go to you um, first uh, for this question. Who was your favorite character in Get Out? My favorite character. Uh, so for me, um, especially after watching it this last time, I have to say that my favorite character is definitely Chris Washington, uh, played by the amazing Daniel Kaluuya. Um, to me, Chris is gentle—he's a gentle and sensitive soul, but he doesn't put up with bullshit or nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, he genuinely loves Rose and would do 
Yeah. Um, you really feel terrible for Chris, but not only does he go through this demented, horrific ordeal with the Order of Coagula, but that ultimately it is his it is his love's betrayal and the necessary death of his former lover that becomes the most devastating thing of all. Yes, and I agree with that. I agree with that. And and uh Allison, who is your favorite character on Get Out? Rod, the BFF. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The whole time. That's the right. The entire time. Next I said, don't go to that girl's house. Don't go. And then who <laughs> saves the day? Rod. Rod that's right. Saves the day. That, that's who I, I put as my um, favorite character. <laughs> Last I time and this time. <laughs> the whole thing could have been avoided if he just would have listened to his best friend, Rod. That's right. That's what, look, that's what best friends are here for, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I think that that's kind of like a frivolous answer. He was kind of there as like comedic reprisal. Yeah. You know, but he was not necessarily part of the main story. But I, he brought it together. He brought it full circle. Yes. Everyone was a rod. (laughs) He was the... Uh, he was the warner in the movie, you know, yeah. if that's even yeah. a word, uh, the warner, the, you know, the one who warns you not to go in the woods, the one who warns you not Correct. to go in that white girl's house. <laughs> the one to be still listening to the entire time. Uh, yep. Well, I mean, I didn't feel like he wasn't listening to him so much as he was like trying to figure out what was going on and some, you know, I mean, Rod kept going on about sex slaves and all this other stuff and he kind of yeah. thought it was ridiculous sounding, you know? It was a bit like much. So, I wouldn't have believed Rod either. Yeah. yeah, you're right. I don't think I would have either. I don't think I would have, no. you know, I would, would have just been like, man, you crazy. Bye. Exactly. <laughs> um, now, who is your least favorite character? And I think we probably all have, we might all have the same answer for this. Uh, Allison, who, who is your least favorite character? Rose. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, like at the end of the day, I understand that she's kind of a product of her upbringing, so you could argue the parents are the most evil. But um, she was the one who went and trapped and coerced and got the guys to come out and right. with absolute intent and absolutely no worries about it. She did not care. She was okay with her decision. Right. So I think, due to me, it, it's all about intent. So, due to her evil intent, you know, I, I, she, she made me the most upset while watching the film. Yes, and she's very sneaky. Yep. Could you imagine being him? I mean, like she, she played him. She played it so well. She had him convinced. Even like the scene where they're driving to her parents' house and the cops pull them over. Right. And she plays like the advocate. So well. Yes, he did. Yeah, with the cop when they're when they're pulled over on the way to the house, you know, and just she she just played him so hard, and we all would have felt for that. Oh yeah, most definitely. So you you could argue that the parents raised her and made her who she was, but everyone has some sort of free will, so she could have said no. That's right. She was so openly excited to do. Things that she was doing, I 
And you could tell that at the end of the movie, you know, by the end, yeah. we know that she's a part of it. And and yeah. and the, the next scene, she's eating her Fruit Loops, uh, uh, yeah. looking for the next victim. How intentional is that too? her eating those Fruit Loops? I remember the first time I saw that, I was like, I know he does nothing on accident. Everything this boy does directly is on purpose. With the fruit loops it was interesting because he he purposely had her have the the colored fruit loops yeah. segregated from the milk the white milk in the glass. Yeah. Everything's intentional. Yep. So, an interesting side note on that, um, in the movie Us, um, the character, the young son Jason is actually at one point eating a bowl of Fruit Loops with the milk in the cereal. Mm, yeah. Kind of bringing it full circle of like in, in Get Out, they were segregated, but in us, they come together. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And then also with the, you know, the antlers of the deer, which we know what that is in Get Out, um, uh, on, uh, the friend, the white friend of Josh in us, he actually has antler tattoos on both his arms, which are a callback to the antler scene in Get Out. Yeah. Wow. All of that yeah. is very he does, interesting. He does nothing on accident. Mm -mm. I can't wait to see what this next movie is going to be about. <laughs> Uh, well, I Nathan, just read that uh, um, his next movie, he's working on a secret movie that's supposed to come out uh, next year in 2022, and uh, Kiki Palmer is going to be in it, and oh, he's I actually bringing Kiki. back, so right now they're working on talking to Daniel Kaluuya to come back and be in another one of his movies. Uh, awesome. That is awesome. That is. Well, Nathan, uh, what is your, um, who is your least favorite character and get out or do you agree with me and Allison is it Rose <laughs> uh, no to me it was actually Jeremy Armitage uh, played by Caleb Landry Jones yes uh, and you know what last year that was my answer I did not like her brother I didn't like him this year either but <laughs> but last year I hated him Jeremy Jeremy is a prick, and the, he's the most overtly yes. racist character in the movie. Yes. Um, he's a total douchebag, and his death is by far the most brutal, which is very highly gratifying in my mind. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he's the one, he's the one that uh, commits the most amount of microaggressions against, uh, against Chris, and he's just, he's very... Uh, he does a poor job of disguising his his, his disdain for black people the whole time. Yep, the whole time. I was just gonna say that, Allison. Yep, because the dinner scene, you could tell her parents were trying to like calm him down, so like he didn't let out too much information. Right. Because it was it was just so natural for him to be such a bad person. Right. That he couldn't even turn it off. Wow. I do like his, uh, the uh, medieval helmet that Jordan Peele came up with for his character to use when he kidnapped 
uh, people, though. Very, uh, very, uh, very uh, evil and sadistic looking mask that he wears. Yeah. And the 30s music, what was that about? <laughs> uh, the music that he was playing when he kidnapped um, the first guy in the first scene. Yeah, right. At the beginning. Yep. That music, man, I was just like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be hearing this right now. Yeah, Andrea was That's like, another thing. not today, not me, not today. I have to play ignorance on this too because I had only seen this movie one time until the other day when we watched it for this podcast. And I don't think that I realized that the guy in the beginning who was taken was the guy later on in the film. Like, it took me two watches to realize that it was. Oh yeah, me too, Elson. It took me like it took me like twice to watch it. Like yeah. uh, uh, you know, you know, when I was watching it last year, it took me two times to watch it before I could see that it was that guy from the first scene. Yeah. Yeah, because they show in Jeremy's car when uh, Chris gets in it at the end that the the helmet is in the passenger seat. Yep. Yeah. And yep, there's. And I'm sure we'll get into it. There's a few things I'm like. Duh! Like watching it a second time, like how did you? Right. That? <laughs> well, and that's the only thing. Like, I, I, just, I love that that mask, that medieval mask, so much. Like, I wish they would have shown more of Jeremy in action with that. Not that that not that we needed to see, you know, the horrific nature of black people being kidnapped, but just like, just like it's such an iconic image, and it wasn't used like pervasively in the film, and it, yeah. I think it would have lent it even more of a horror feel if they would have shown him, you know, wearing that mask more. Oh, yeah. You're right about that, Nathan. You're right. Yeah, I agree. Now, uh, what was um, your favorite scene of Get Out? And uh, Nathan, we'll start with you for this one. What was your favorite scene of Get Out? Okay, my favorite scene um, is actually the reveal in the third act of the Order of Coagula and their true and sinister intentions. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which I have some more notes on them. If, oh, yeah. Please um, yeah, inform us about this. Well, yeah. I, did, I did some research because I was just so fascinated, especially this last time I watched like the Order of Coagula. Um, so I found that it says the Order of Coagula is a secretive cult group of prospective and wealthy Caucasian buyers and a villainous faction in the film. Oh, uh, wait, so this is, Roman is this real? Huh? Is this a real thing? Uh, or, no, this is just, uh, this oh, is it's just for the movie. movie. Okay. I was about to say, yeah. oh my gosh, they actually have a cult like this. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised either. Yeah, it was founded, of course, by uh, Roman Roman Armitage somewhere between the 1930s and 40s mm. and headed by the Armitage family themselves. Members of this unusual secret society seek out, kidnap, brainwash, and finally trade places with healthy and youthful Afro-Americans via partial transmutation, which is to implant the brains of the members, their old relatives and friends, into the bodies of the for younger and fitter black people. Um, the group consists of around two dozen people. Now, the uh -huh. order was founded by Roman after he lost the 1936 Olympics 
the famous Jesse Owens. Unable to take his loss seriously, oh. Roman pathetic, uh, pathetically developed a hatred towards an obsession with black people and perfected a process kidnapping black people in order to brainwash them and to implant the brains of the old relatives and friends in their bodies. Um, and as Roman and his wife, Marianne, grew old, their son, Dean, they took over as the new leader of the order. And his wife, Missy, used two black persons named Walter and Georgina as new vessels for the dying Roman and Marianne, with the help from Dean and Missy's daughter, Rose. Dean even got his son, Jeremy, to kidnap a black man named Andre Hayworth as a new vessel for an old family friend named Logan King. Now, the interesting thing, you, you want, might wonder why they're called the Order of Coagula. Um, so there's an old uh, um, alch alch alchemy. So if you're familiar with alchemy, uh, there's a, a phrase called solvent coagula. Yeah. Um, it's the central alchemical process. Solve or solutio refers to the breaking down of elements, and coagula refers to their coming together. In the process of transmuting base metal into gold, this contained both literal and metaphorical meaning. Solve referred to the dissolving and vanishing of hardened positions and negative states of body and mind, and coagula referred to the coagulation of dispersed elements into an integrated whole, representing the new synthesis. So that is why they are called the Order of Coagula, because they're the trans the transmuting process of combining the white people's minds with the black body um, is essentially coagula, which is why the video ends with Behold the Coagula. Ah, that's good, Mason. That's some good research right there. I didn't even do all that. <laughs> yeah, no, I was blown away. I, I just, that is I crazy. The coagula thing really struck me was on uh, Marilyn Manson's new album, We Are Chaos, he has a song called Soul Coagula. Um, and he actually has a tattoo down the side of his hand that says in big letters, Coagula. And so between that song and the tattoo and the name of the order in the movie, I was like, okay, I have to find out what Coagula means. Right, right. Wow. It, it seems to me like Jordan Peele did his research too. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm not familiar with the Emperor Coagula from history. But yeah, yeah I see that as a reference. Yeah. That is interesting. Very. And and Allison, what what was your um uh favorite uh scene of in Get Out? I think for me, I it's like the moments where it became real. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because, like, the first time I watched it, you know, like, try to think of, like, a first-timer watching the film, like, when you're really kind of not sure how it's going to end, like, kind of having that perspective. I think the conversation that he has with the art dealer is very significant, where the art dealer recognizes him and knows him, and then after that conversation is when the auction starts, and I think that's when it kind of starts to click, because, like, you're, you're kind of, like, know something really bad is going to happen and you know that it's racist as hell and you know it's going to be awful but you're not quite sure where it's going to go the first time you watch the film. Right. Yeah. And like, 
the conversation that he has with the art dealer and then when it all starts to like get real with the auction i think that that moment of clarity like i hate that because it's painful and it's evil but i think that that's like the oh moment in the film You're like, yeah oh, that's oh, the like, eye opener going like oh my gosh so, yep yeah, like where they slowly pan out and you see, you think they're playing bingo and then you see the portrait of Chris behind uh, the yep. And you're watching the cards and they're like vertical and horizontal and you're like, all right, what does this all mean? And then, yeah, like the moment it clicks. And like, I mean, and you guys do know that's what they used to do with the slaves, right? They yeah. used to, yeah, they used to um, bid on what yeah. slave that they were going to take. Exactly. That he was doing with his hands um, throughout the auction was probably millions. And in which case, yep. um, if he sold to the art dealer, he sold Chris for 10 million. 10 million is what I was saying. When he to does that, he flashes the 10 and then he, he does like the, the two hands. Yep. And that's the guy says, he's like, I want your eyes. Yeah, well, that was the interesting thing with the art dealer was he actually was the only one that was a part of the cult of Coagula that wasn't in it because of the racism aspect. He literally just wanted Chris's uh, artistic eye. Oh, right. Now, can I throw something in there, though? Because when you ask the question, do we think that this film portrays people who don't think they're racist, but they are, I think that the art dealer is one of those poignant moments where well, he says, I know we haven't gotten to that question yet. We haven't gotten it to that yet, but yes, it is coming. And I want to hear your thoughts about that. Where I throw back on that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, my, um, my favorite scene um, in Get Out is any scene with ride in it. any scene with Rodden it was my favorite scene because he was this hilarious he made the movie what it was actually Uh, I I just want to throw that in there he was the Don uh, Nathan of Get Out he was what Don was to Annabellum Um, okay so who was your, what was your least favorite scene? And uh, Allison, we'll start with you on this one. What was your least favorite uh, scene in Get Out? This is hard and I'm just not even speaking from like a directorial written perspective. Just the whole scene where she is doing the hypnosis. Yes. Simply because my anxiety during that scene was so high. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I knew that it was like not good. So like, I think every scene in this movie is poignant and beautiful and necessary. So like, I am choosing the scene that's my least favorite. I still love it. It's still necessary. I think it's brilliant. But I'm saying that simply because of the anxiety inducing that it caused. Yeah. Like, it was yeah. so uncomfortable to watch. And you do like, oh, dude, like, no, like, this, no, why? Yeah, and, and you know, I uh, I put that down in my notes too, Allison. I don't I don't really even get anxiety like that, but I yeah. could just about imagine how it would feel to get hypnotized. Nobody wants to 
feel as if they're losing control you know that's wow. why i that's why I, I don't really drink all that much i don't like being you know i i never have like getting drunk because i don't want to i don't like that feeling of not having control so yeah. you know and and drinking makes you not have control same with uh getting hypnotized i don't think anybody will like anybody normal anyway would not want to be hypnotized no, the whole time I was so uncomfortable, like just. I mean, that, uh, who who, who would consent to that? That's one of the scariest parts of the movie too, when she she's doing the thing and it's all slow and you know going along and everything. She's stirring the tea and then then she just all of a sudden says, "Now sink into the floor." No, 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 sink. You're like, no, 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 run, run. Right. Like it's so scary. It is. You have like that, that power, I, you know. Yeah. Just be like sink into the floor. No, the whole yeah. It's just such anxiety and these things. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty terrifying. You know, it's a sad yeah. or a heartbreaking scene at first, and then it gets really terrifying with the fucking place. Yeah, because he's just like floating in the black, you know, and I'm like, oh my goodness. And my least favorite is absolutely not. Necessary for the story, and it's a brilliant thing. It's just the one that makes me the most uncomfortable, and that's necessary. And I'm okay with yeah, that, but yeah, because that's what I mean, like you said, Allison, it's necessary to the story. Yep, so yeah, yeah. And uh, how about you, Nathan? Uh, what was your least favorite scene? My least favorite scene. Um, it was, uh, a couple of them, uh, it's the auctioning off of Chris as if he was just property and, uh, Chris being betrayed by Rose. Yeah. Um, just because, like, both of those things, like, you know, he didn't deserve either one of those, um, you know, horrible things to happen to him because he actually genuinely loved Rose. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, the betrayal there, you know, especially. But then, yeah, just the idea that, you know, in the year 2017, that auction of black people is being done, it's pretty uh, dark and discouraging. Yeah, uh, Rob and I talked about the fact that, like, he really did love her. Yeah. And that just makes it all the more gross and awful. You're right. Yeah, going back to what uh, Allison said, I, I do have a, a few notes on the sunken place as well. That's where you wanted to talk uh, about that. Yes, yes, please tell, tell us about the sunken place. So I read, like, I did some research as far as, like, the, like, kind of the description, and then I also got a quote from George Peel, mm -hmm. tweets that he sent later after the film had come out, but you know, superficially, the second place, you know, it's a brain brainwashing technique, um, um, you know, in, you know, in Get Out, of course, you know, Chris is the family of Rose, you know, the white family, and it experiences increasingly ominous series of microaggressions until the reveal comes. He has been lured there to be kidnapped, sold into a form of slavery, and lobotomized so that his body can be hijacked by the white person who purchases them, 
part of what makes it possible is a kind of hypnosis, which separates the consciousness of the victim from the control of the body. And uh, shortly after the film's release, uh, Jordan Peele tweeted, uh, we're all in the sunken place. The sunken place means we're marginalized. No matter how hard we scream, the system silences us. And uh, somebody retweeted his, or had replied to his thing, uh, what I just read, and had said that, uh, um, you know, that at the time, it was 2017, and they said, um, you know, not to get too political here, but they said, in Trump's America, we're all in the sunken place. And apparently, uh, uh, Jordan Peele agreed with this, and he actually retweeted that tweet. Um agreeing that at least during that period of four years, 2017 to, you know, just this past year, um, we, you know, we're all like, you know, screaming and no one's listening and we've all been, you know, marginalized, but obviously in a bigger, more uh, particular scale, you know, he's talking about people of color being marginalized right, 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 and yeah. not, being, not being listened to. By society as a whole, right? Yeah, yeah, it, and, and I understand, you know, where he's coming from with that, or even the person who tweeted that tweet. I understand what that person was saying because yeah. you know it, it did feel like we were, you know, here we are. We're, we're telling telling you that we're not getting the same rights as you guys are, and then right. we have. The majority of uh, of Caucasians saying, "Oh well, that's not true. You guys are just as equal as we are." Well, yeah, that we want to be just as equal as you guys, but we're not. Yeah, right. Well, it's not even just equality, but equity. You know, the fair treatment, like fair treatment for everybody. Yeah, like right. not just uh, not just being equal, but being treated the same, regardless. Of, right or or sexual identity or gender identity or any of these things you know like any of these marginalized groups you know i'm you know in that the lgbtq marginalized group and um you know it's kind of the the same thing in the past like we're just we just want equity um you know fair treatment under the law in society and to not be treated as, oh, you're that, so we're going to treat you differently or we're going to discriminate against you. The illusion that everyone has an equal start in life, well, that's just not the reality. Right. 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 Especially if you're not rich. Right. Yeah. Or well, that's white. the other thing that we deal with in this country is we deal with classism. Yep. Yes. So, oh, yeah. Know, there's all that intersectionality, you know. There's, you know, for me, the intersectionality is, is you know, my sexuality and the fact that I'm in the, you know, at best lower middle class, probably more so in the upper lower class. And, you know, there's that intersectionality of those two things. And then, you know, you mix in as well, like people of color, you know, if you're a person of color, then that creates, you know, or if you're a woman or, you know, or you're mm -hmm. a gay man, like all these things kind of create like a perfect storm of inequities and inequalities. That's true. 
And now we come, we're coming back to that question, Allison. Um, okay. uh, uh, do you think that Get Out did a good job in showing us how people can be racist without them even knowing that they are racist? And you were about to say something very profound, Allison. What were you about to say? Well, bear with me here because I'm going to come full circle. So this comes from a conversation that Rob and I had earlier because we were talking about this question you were going to ask us. Okay. And we're kind of just like, well, obviously one of the main points of the movie is supposed to point this out, right? Mm -hmm. But for us, when we first started to have our conversation, it was more about privilege. Mm -hmm. um, about which privilege in itself is a form of that is in itself a form of racism when it mm -hmm. comes down to it, right? Like, or lack thereof, I should say. Right. So we're just saying that the movie is more like a point of privilege with money and access to power and those lines where if you want to go into like the details of like credit scores and redlining and all of that, it's just like the bottom tier of building up, you know, your life in America and how it's nearly impossible because of those issues. I feel like this movie was kind of pointing that out. And then we talked about, but then we kind of got into that point where, and once again, coming from a white perspective, mm -hmm. where we were like, oh, but the artist guy said, you know, it didn't matter about color. He wanted his eyes. And then Rob and I like checked ourselves and we're like, but wait, that's exactly, that's exactly it. Like our white perspective thought at first that he just wanted a talent, but we're like, but that's there, and you know, is the issue right there. Like, this right. guy and our interpretation of this guy was what you could say racist. This guy was saying this, like, oh, your color doesn't matter. But the when, when the conversation first starts, color has nothing to do with it. Right. That artist or that art buyer brings up his color without even being prompted. And Rob and I, because of our white experience, initially, not that we thought he was innocent by any means, he's obviously had an auction to auction off human beings. Oh, right. So clearly, he's already a jerk to begin with. Exactly. But, but we were like, oh, but he said this. And we're like, no, but wait, see that right there? Henson lies the rough. Like, he even says, your color doesn't matter to me. I want your eyes. Right. And obviously, the color does matter. Mm -hmm. You know, and that that right there, and even Rob and I's white perspective of the situation, like initially, wasn't thinking that, and we had to second guess ourselves and back up ourselves on how we were purveying that scene. We're like, no, guys, totally racist. He's totally. saying that because it's a trope, because it's an easy thing to say. It gets you out of the scenario. It's safe. Mm -hmm. It gets you off easy. Like, no. But, I so mean, I, I would say, I though, that ambition is What's that? I'm sorry? I was saying, I was going to say, I, I think it, I feel like it is less about the color and more about his artistic eye in the sense that we're talking about a blind man here. So what does a blind man care about color? Yeah, right, but, that's I mean, true. Black is it. We can't help it. 
Like they right. bring that up. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, I uh, I see both sides. Black, yeah, yeah, black being black posh right now. I mean, so I want your eyes to just happen to be black. Well, and that's what it was for me is that he just happened to be black. I think he he found his opportunity of like being able to transmutate his brain into a body that had not only eyes that could see, but eyes that had an artistic bent to them. And he was just taking advantage of the this cult as a, a means to an end for him to be the world's next, next great photographer. You know, I think his, his intentions to me were more about pride and selfishness than they were about uh, outright racism. But isn't that where you're racist without knowing it? You know, like, that's the point, right? Because, like, he doesn't think he's racist, but he's about to buy a black man off the market. But he's not racist because he's there for the art. So isn't that, you know, like, that... Oh, uh, I, I understand what you're saying, Allison. And I was right along with you the whole time, but then that's where Rob and I were like, well, wait, that's where you're racist, but not knowing you're racist because you're literally about to buy a black man. And if you're not racist, you would never buy... Right, exactly. You would say, you would stop and think, like, what the heck am I doing? Right. Yeah. So I, I mean, I feel like, though, he would have, if it would have been a white photographer, he would have done the same thing, you know? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't I, know. I don't know. And, and, right, and that's where we as white people kind of have to think, like, I don't know, would we? Yeah. No, I see you what know, you're that's the issue. Yeah. Right. You know, um, I like, um, uh, I'm going to go off scripts for a minute here, but um, uh, uh, Brooke, um, I mean, not Brooke, um, I forget her real name right now, but she plays, um, I want to say she played um, in Nightmare on M Street Floor. She played Debbie. I think her name is Brooke. I think her real name is Brooke. But she has on her Facebook page, um, on her Facebook page, as her um, not her profile picture, but the other photo that's um, that's like on your photo. Yeah, uh, she has the words that says, "I understand that I will never understand." You know, and that was that was for us. And actually, I think it was more so for her very good friend, who also plays on that rear number three part four, Toy Nuker. I think that yeah. was for her. And and um, and it's the truth. You guys will never understand. This man doesn't understand that no. that what he's doing is wrong. No. He doesn't understand that this that this man who you are. Uh, uh, bidding on is a human. He might be black, but he's a human. You know, so he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand that he's a tribute. Um, he's contributing to the uh, the oppression of this black man. He doesn't understand right. that. Right. Yeah. Just I like agree. a lot of white people don't understand. That when they say things like, oh, all lives matter, 
they are diminishing us. Well, that's uh -huh. I hate that phrase. They they are diminishing us, and they but they literally do not understand. No. Right. No. Yeah. I I work, and I can work. say that because I didn't understand at first. I didn't understand. I'm like that. I, I was like that too. Like all lives do matter. But then I got pregnant with my son, and and I I started to realize that <laughs> wait a minute, all of our lives aren't mattering. Right. And I'm going to have to tell my son at some point that, and I think I said this on yesterday's um, uh, episode too, Nathan. Uh, at some point, I'm going to have to tell my son that he's not going to be able to do what his Caucasian friends do. Or he's not going to be able to go where his Caucasian friends go. And that's not okay. It well, is and not. that reminds me of a, another recent horror movie or thriller. Um, um, there's this movie called, uh, that's like a rape revenge horror film called Promising Young Women mm. or Woman. And uh, the title of the movie was actually taken from this uh, trial of this college kid, this white kid that raped a fellow student and in his acquittal, the judge said, the judge referred to, or no, not the judge, the jury uh, who acquitted him referred to him as a promising young man and that he had lots of potential and that's why they weren't going to convict him. Oh, my God. he was a promising young man. And can you imagine that ever happening if it would have been a black student? No. You know? That never would have happened. They would have shot him and asked questions back. later. This reminds me of Brock Taylor. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's white privilege in action is what that was. You would never see that if it would have been a black student against a white girl. Nope. Never, ever, ever. No, I... I guess I'll answer the question now. Yes, sir, Nathan. Go ahead. Okay, so you asked if it did a good job in showing how racist people can be without them even knowing they're racist. Right. Um... So I said, well, first off, I, I think the members of the Order of Coagula do indeed know they are racist. Some are just better at hiding it than others. But generally, as the movie serves as a critique of liberal elites who masquerade as racial allies but are in fact guilty of a different kind of racism, I'd say it's the microaggressions and envy of black people that is the real insidious type of racism that the film is getting at. Now, I looked this up because I wanted to fully understand it in all its uh, detail. But microaggressions uh, are a statement, action, or incident regarded as an instance of indirect, subtle, or unintentional discrimination against members of a marginalized group, such as a racial or ethnic minority. Um, 
in real life, this could be things like a white woman passing a black man on the street. She clutches her purse tighter or some, a white person not getting on an elevator because there's a black person in it. Mm-hmm. Um, in the film and get out, it's like when the cop asked for Chris's ID when he wasn't driving or Jeremy saying to Chris that his genetic makeup with his genetic makeup, he could be an MMA or just the general way that all the whites acted around Chris at the party. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the everyday microaggressions of white people in awkward moments that black people experience while in a room alone with a bunch of white people. That's a very real and uncomfortable thing for people of color, I think. And, you know, like when people, when white people don't know what to say around a black person, you know, so, you know, we bring up our, you know, the connection to blacks or black culture. Um, you know, like the guy in the movie saying, oh, I know Tiger. You know, I know Tiger yeah. was, you know, all they can say is, you know, their connection to the black community, you know, and it's uncomfortable. Uh, I think for black people, it makes everything about race when black people really, you know, they don't want everything to boil down to just their race. Right. So, you know, and I think with with these microaggressions, you know, I I had to do a little bit of self-inventory and, you know, reading uh, the works of Ibram X. Kendi and everything, as I've mentioned before on the podcast, like, uh, he talks about how there is no not a racist, but there's only racist and anti-racist, and that anti-racism is a choice, and it's an ongoing process. You're never cured of racism. He talks about how everyone in this country of every color, because of the nature of American society, we are all raised to be racist to one extent or another, and we I want think to choose so too. In each, each day and in each situation to be anti-racist. Um, and I think, you know, these microaggressions, especially, uh, you know, even the best of us that try um, to be, you know, anti-racist, microaggressions are insidious and they can sneak up on you. And sometimes they're just reflexes and you don't realize the inherent racism uh, that they are. That's good. And it's it's and it's the truth, you know. uh, Um, well, uh, last year and in last year's episode of Get Out, uh, Adrian had asked me if I was offended by the movie, or you know, um, yeah, yeah, I think that was his question. If I was offended uh, by this movie, and my my answer was. No, you know, I was not offended because Jordan Peele was actually showing uh, the Caucasian people, them, how they can be, you know, racist without knowing it or how they can put put out stereotypes that may or may not be true about us. You know, the, the stereotype is black guys what they go to basketball they you know 
you uh, you have a white person ask a black got black boy, well, are you gonna be playing basketball when you grow up? You know, as if there's no other sport, you know, but basketball that he could play. And yeah. it, so you know, yeah. it, it's just showing all of that, you know, the stereotypes, the tropes. Right, like they say in the movie, that one lady like comes and feels Chris's muscles and then asks Rose, uh, "Is it true? Is it better?" Yeah, you know, like the the whole idea that you know all black men are. You know, like endowed, (laughs) you know, well endowed, exactly. You know, like, and so, you know, it's just like, you know, that's just as much of a microaggression and stereotype as saying that, you know, all Asians are good at math or, you know, all Mexicans are hard workers or, you know, you know, like, it's just ridiculous, like, to just lump everybody together. People do this with generations, too. Like, oh, yeah. I'm somebody on Facebook, and they're they're like, oh, Gen Z, they're all like this, or, you know, or millennials are always like this, and, you know. Or, right. Okay, uh, you know, I just think that we love to lump people together. I don't care who we right. are. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, you got to catch yourself with that, though, because it's not appropriate oh, right. or fair or equitable to just lump everyone together. Yeah, you know, you right, exactly. like the majority of, or, you know, like when you're talking about generations or things like this, but, you know, you have to realize people are individuals and everybody has the things that they're good at or the things that, they do or you know somebody will say oh all millennials are this way and i'll be like wait a minute i'm an elder millennial you know i was born in 83 and i don't fit anything of what you just said or you know people will make a generalization maybe not knowing about my sexuality and assume that i'm you know a straight white male and it's like no no (laughs) like that's you know let's not jump to conclusions you know, you can't just assume things about people, especially if you don't know them. Uh, let's see. My uh, my last question. I think that was my last question. I think this. Let's see. I don't think I have anyone. Oh yes, I have. I do have. I have like two more questions. Two or three more questions. Ah! <laughs> yeah, three more. Yeah. Uh, uh, whose kill uh, was the most creative? Uh, Nathan, we'll go to you uh, for this one. Whose kill was the most creative, in your opinion? I would say that Dean Armitage getting impaled in the throat by the deer antlers by Chris uh, was super creative on Chris's part in a really inventive and honestly poetic way for Dean to have died because of Dean's disdain for deer. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he did talk about Which that I in the movie. To think about that. Like I was trying to think about the whole deer thing and trying to see if there was some sort of a racist parallel that that was supposed to represent. I don't think like, so. I just think he I'm did. Sure, he just didn't like, like you know, deer. That was an element of his character that he, yeah. you know, he thought deer. He likened them to rats and said they were destroying the ecosystem. And you know, every time he saw a deer, he's like one down. 200,000 to go or whatever, you know, and so it was very, 
poetic justice that the way he died was being impaled by deer antlers. And what about you, uh, uh, Allison? Well, what, I mean, that that was my answer as well. Uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I thought, yeah. I think we we did a little research on, like, the significance of that, of the deer popping up, and Rob coined it before we even looked it up. That is just kind of like the death of innocence, or innocence kind of going away, is what... Oh, we could, we could find was like the the death the death of that innocent. Wow, so, yeah, because yeah, yeah, deer. I mean, because deer they don't really do anything. They're not they're not dangerous or no. anything. They are they are really innocent animals that are being yeah. hunted. But do boy do they taste good? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, if you've never had fresh venison after... I'm going to have to try it now. I do love chicken. Sorry, dear. It's good good stuff. But I certainly don't think we should wipe them all out. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't think they should be wiped out. I don't think they should be wiped out either. That's why we have, like, hunting season laws and uh, amount of kill laws and stuff like that because you know mm-hmm. the point is to wipe out the species for sport and for food. Now I know you both agree with uh, Dean's death, and I think and I not like that death too. I think that was creative, but I yeah. I think Jeremy's um, death was creative, and it's probably probably because I just didn't like him so. <laughs> He, he definitely had the most brutal death. I mean, his, yeah. head, his head was literally crushed in by Chris's boot. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, he had to get creative for that. There was some survival there. Oh, yeah, yeah. that was he had completely to defensive. Yeah. So I guess, with that being said, I think the death with the antlers was the most poignant. Yeah. Um, Because of the reference with the deer. But I think that the death that you're speaking of definitely took more gut from yep. the main character to make it happen. He had to be creative, and that was survival. Yep. Yeah. He definitely went into survival mode and kept stomping on him. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, I um I, this question that just came to me, and I know it's probably a stupid question, especially for us African Americans. <laughs> but in your opinion, what makes this movie scary? And Allison, we'll go to you first. What makes this movie scary to you? I feel like we should go to you first. I feel like your opinion matters more than my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, what makes Get Out scary for me is how realistic it is. I mean, you know, for a lot of black people, uh, people being racist towards us is very real, very real and very scary. So, you know, uh, I am uh, very grateful for the Caucasian people in my life, you know, both in the group page, my listeners that listen to my podcast and the personal friends that I have in my life that are, you know, that know me for real and know me personally, 
you know, I, I have Caucasian friends from when I was in uh, elementary school. I have Caucasian friends from when I was in high school. I have Caucasian friends from when I was in my early 20s up, uh, up until now. And now, you know, I have you guys. I have my group. Like I was telling Nathan uh, yesterday, I, I think it was yesterday uh, I was telling you, Nathan, I have more Caucasian people in my horror group than I do uh, African-Americans. And I'm not yeah. saying, and I'm not saying that that's a good or a bad thing. It just is what it is, you know. And yeah, and, and I joked that uh, it was because uh, when it comes to being sick and twisted, more white people are that way. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember that now. Yeah, uh, but, <laughs> but then I said, well, maybe that's just me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, you know, I mean, so yeah. that's what makes it scary to me, you know. Yeah. I, I put my trust out there with you guys. And then to have that trust broken. Yeah. Because you want what I have. Yeah. And, that, right. and, and that seriously could be with anybody, you know. Uh-huh. I mean, it could have been reversed. It could have been like that the black people were trying to get what the white people had. You know, it could have been reversed. But, you know, speaking from an African-American who, 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 you know, has to witness this. Now, I have never witnessed racism in my life. Um, well, I take that back. I did witness it. Once when I was very, very little, I think I was in kindergarten. And I remember, uh, I, I, I even remember the kid's name. His name was Andrew. And I, rem- I remember he used to always point at me and be like, ugh, brown skin. But, you know, me being a child, you know, I was in kindergarten at that time. So I didn't know what he was talking about. I never knew what he was talking about, you know, and I never even told, I don't think I even told my mom what he was saying because my mom would have told me, you know, she would have let me know, you tell that white little boy, you know, <laughs> I already know what my mom would have said. But, yeah. but, um, but, uh, I didn't know any better, you know, so, but then as I grew up, I was like, oh, that's what he was, that's what he was meaning. That's what he was meaning. He, I'm black and he's white. You know, that's why he was saying, ugh, black skin. Yeah. You know, and so, and so, even, even though I haven't dealt with racism like that, I, that, it, that doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. Uh huh. I always, always have to be on my guard. And that is the scariest thing of all. Yep. That is the scariest thing. I would say nobody should have to be on their guard because of something that's inherent to who they are, whether it be their, you know, what you look like or what color you are worship or who you love. Like none of these things that are, you know, integral, inherent you know, born with things that we have as, as our person. Um, the fact that 
any of us have to, you know, like just be like, oh, I can't tell that person this or, or what, what does that person think of me because of the way I look or, you know, right. how are they perceiving my behavior based off of the way I look or, you know, just having to actually put thought into that, like that's sad that, exactly. you know, deal with that. Exactly. So let's say you guys, I mean, how does it, um, how do you guys think this movie is scary or, or what makes this movie scary? And uh, Allison, I, mean, I, I think it just shows how easily duped and valuable we could be. I mean, like the movie, you're watching it and it seems absurd, but like, to be honest, it really isn't the most incredibly far-fetched. I mean, I think a big thing that happens in our society is that America loves black culture, but does not love black people. And I think that that was a big thing in that film, just showing that like, we want this culture and we want this feel, but we don't want the ramifications that come along with it, which why are there ramifications that come along with it? We should get rid of the ramifications. And the fact that that is a reality is, scary and as much as I think that I recognize it and as much as I think that I'm fighting against it and trying to not be a part of it like I'm coming from like a white female perspective and I'm never going to understand and as much as I can try to be the best that I can be you know, and like I said, like, this is not like a white savior, feel sorry for me. Oh, like, yeah, no, I no, no. I want to know that I'm doing the best that I can do. Exactly. You know, and, and I will never fault yeah. any uh, Caucasian woman or any Caucasian man, for that matter, who wants to uh, um, help. Because yeah. that that's basically, that's basically what we want anyway. We want you yeah. guys to to join in with us join in on the fight because we are all we are all equal under god you know yeah well, and the i thing think it's that valuableness like, that messiness that can come along with it is the scariest you know like you can very much be a wheel in the mess by not knowing that you're a wheel in the mess right, right. the scariest part for me is the best way to put that well and like Here's the thing for me with that is like, just, uh, you know, I can't ever fully understand Latrice. Uh, well, for both of you, I can't fully ever understand what it means to be a woman in the modern age, mm-hmm. or I can't fully understand what it means to be black, or y'all can't fully understand what it means to be a bisexual man. But that doesn't mean we can't educate ourselves and talk to people who are in those groups and do better, be yeah. better, you know? Right. Like, and that goes for all of us. You can and be, try and be part of the solution and not the problem. Right. Exactly. And like I said, that goes for all of us. Yeah. We well, all have to do better. pointed out all the differences between us that just to say, you know, we all have our unique identities and circumstances and but that doesn't mean we can't at least attempt to understand where the other person's coming from. Right. 
Exactly. Right. And that's all we want. We want you guys to, you guys will never be able to understand us. You, you can never walk in our shoes. You can, you know, you can never walk in our an, uh, ancestors' shoes, you know. Uh, right. But, um, but we want you guys to uh, say something. And I think I said this on your podcast last week, Nathan. We want you guys to say something. If you guys see an African-American, you know, being harassed, uh, getting pulled over by the police for no reason at all, you know, what's going on here? Why are you doing this to this person? They they have rights, too, you know, because it's the truth. We have rights, too. Right. You know, we have the right to live. We have the right to walk around our house if we want to. We have the right to be in our own yard, you know. And if we want yeah. to go visit our white friend, we have a right to do that. Even though our white friend lives in this suburb, you know, in this beautiful suburb, we have a right to go see our friend. Right. You know, so... Yeah. So if you guys see something, say something. Like I said before, you know, uh, the Dixie Chicks went and uh, changed their name to just the Chicks. I don't. I didn't want that. I love the Dixie Chicks. I love all their CDs. I love their name. They did not have to change their name for us. Say something. Uh, Lady right. Antebellum, they changed their name to Lady A. I love Lady right. Antebellum. I love their name. Right. Don't change your name. Say something if you see something out of whack with your African-American neighbor, with your African-American friend. Well, and I think it should be both, though, because uh, the, the, the names of those groups were definitely problematic, just like, you know, the syrup Aunt Jemima is pro- was problematic, or Uncle Ben's was problematic, like, these things shouldn't just be left to be what they are. It's problematic that there's statues to Confederate. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. I do understand the statues. <laughs> you know, that's not the answer to racism, but at the same time, it's something that needs to be addressed because it's inappropriate and it encourages an ideal that we shouldn't be carrying forward into the future. Oh, it's glorifying it if we keep statues up. Uh, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. So I do understand it. about the statues. That I, yeah. I fully understand. So yeah, you know, it's it's just about like no longer, you know, using these terms or you know glorifying something by making it the name of your band or the name of your product or you know the name of your sports team. Like you know, we shouldn't be using racial slurs and racial stereotypes for products and all these other things but that's not that's not enough to just change those things you know we need to have that action that you were talking about Latrice to back that up exactly that's what I'm talking about action yeah you know but it is I think it's a necessary step but it's not enough exactly like it's it's symbolic but it's not transformative if that makes sense yes it makes it makes uh, it, it makes great sense to me. It makes sense. Yeah. Yes. So my 
scary moment. That's what we were talking about, right? Scary moment? Or what made the movie scary? Yes, what made yeah. the movie scary. Uh, let's see, where am I? My notes here. Um, now, wait, was the question what made the movie scary or my favorite jump scare? Because that's what I have. Oh, um, what made the, uh, I'm sorry, what made the um, movie scary? That That's what. Yeah, I have jump scare for some reason, but that's fine. I can still answer. Um, um, you know, it's just what we've been talking about. You know, just the overall, um, the scariness of discrimination, the scariness of being singled out for something beyond your control, the idea that. You know, there could be this auction of black people in the modern day, um, or that there's these people that would actually put that much thought into exploiting black people, or, uh, you know, in the sense of the film, like becoming black people because they were so jealous of them, of their, you know, athletic ability or their photographic eye or whatever it may be, you know, just the whole idea that, you know, there's this type of racism that is more driven by envy than hatred. Um, You know, like we talked about with the, um, oh, shoot, what was it? Um, I totally lost my thought. Um, Oh, (laughs) I hate when that happens. I mean, you know, just, the, the, the envy and the, mm-hmm. you know, and like I had mentioned, the, you know, the, the form of racism from like liberal elites that some of them pose as allies, um, but in actuality, or like, that's what it was, the, the culture, you know, it reminds right. me of this commercial I saw, it was a black man speaking and they're showing all these images and everything and he's talking about, you know, you love my culture, you love my music, you love my, you know, sports, but do you love me? Wow, yeah. Uh, And, you know, the whole thing, you know, of like, you know, if there's one thing white people in general are good at, it's appropriating other cultures. Right. um, Part of that is American culture in general, because there's such a melting pot and everything. Um, but there's that, you know, in the movie Get Out, they wanted to appropriate all the positive aspects of black people, but they wanted to be in control. You know, they yes. wanted, they were basically saying everything about you is great, except for the fact that you're in control of your own yep. body, of your own decision, of mm-hmm. your own path in life. And, you know, they were, you know, they basically said, well, how did they phrase it in the movie? They said, basically, they said, you know, you know, your perfect genetic makeup combined with our mental exceptionalism, you know? Right. Saying that, you know, their brains were were the, the missing part that needed to be transmutated with the bodies of black people in order to create a perfect being in their in their mind. 
Um, and just that idea in and of itself is, is very scary. Um, and, very. you know, the way it's portrayed in the film, obviously, is very horror-fueled and um, freaky, spooky. Very spooky. And, and that's a, uh, that is a, another way that this movie was scare, scary. Very much so. Well, I was going to ask about uh, the favorite jump scare, but uh, uh, but uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to. <laughs> but um, but uh, I do do want to ask, uh, how does Get Out pertain to the Bible? And I, I'll I'll uh, answer this question uh, first too. Uh, now, last year on last year's episode of Get Out. I actually um, had um, said that uh, I was reminded of the betrayal of Jesus, kind of like yesterday, uh, Nathan. When I uh, when I asked this same question, I you know uh, uh, because of how Rose betrayed Chris, and it was just so not a lot for her, you know, that she betrayed him the way that right. Judas betrayed uh, Jesus, but. Um, but tonight, on this episode, I am going to go with uh, um, the scripture, uh, Exodus 20 and 17. And it says, uh, um, it says, uh, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And in my opinion, uh, Rose's family wanted the gifts and talents, just like uh, you were saying, Nathan, and I think you too, Allison. They want the they wanted the culture, but they didn't want us. They they're jealous of what we have. They don't want us to have it. They think that they are better. And that they can do it better, and that they, you know, that they are so deserving, and that we deserve nothing. That that's how it came across in the movie, anyway. You know. Yeah. So, mm. so that that was my that was my takeaway from this question. Now, uh, uh, Nathan, how, how do you feel about the how does Get Out pertain to the Bible? Yeah, I was thinking about that. I'm I struggling to to find anything because it's it's a movie that's so much about this time and this country mm -hmm. you know like it's yeah. so much about like the current state of affairs with racism and you know Jordan Peele talks about in a cast Q&A on the, on the Blu-ray for this movie mm -hmm. you know he talks about how when Barack Obama was elected as president um, he talks about how we entered the era of the post-racial lie, um, and that a lot of white people in particular thought that we were living in a post-racist society because we had a black president. Um, and so, you know, the film is very much a very modern, um, you know, I mean, I, I assume, you, you know, you could take verses about how you're supposed to treat people, you know, how oh, yeah. 
Jesus talked about, you know, the way you're supposed to treat people and with no regard to their status or class or right. uh, station in life, um, you know, that you shouldn't uh, do, you know, be discriminatory in that manner. You know, I think it's sad that a lot of that in the mainstream of Christianity or evangelicism in particular has kind of gone out the window for some reason in America. Um, you know, I feel like if people, you know, especially evangelicals, could get back to, like, where you're at, Latrice, you know, you're, you're studying the red letters, as you said. Right. Uh, I am the studying the words of Jesus. The words of Christ himself as transcribed by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's um, right. You know, you actually, if, if most evangelicals or, or Christians or, you know, for that matter, were actually adhering to what the red letters say, then I think this country would have a whole lot less problem. There would be a whole lot less discrimination. There'd be less racism. There'd, there'd be, be less, less hatred. You know, and so I guess it just relates in that way of just like the, you know, the whole issue of racism. Like if, you know, people that say they believe in the Bible would actually do what the Bible says, we wouldn't even really have this issue. You know, not at all. Not at all. Or at least not at, on such a large scale. You know? Oh, right. Yeah. And, and Allison, how, how do you feel about um, how does Get Out pertain to the Bible? I got to piggyback off Nathan because I felt the same way. I, mm-hmm. you know, like thought about the question, thought about it. And not that racism or prejudice is just a current thing because it's been around forever. But I think, uh-huh. you know, with this connotation that it's set in, it, it's, it's current and like, we all said that you can, you know, don't judge people, love people, yeah. you know, just the basic golden law. Is the golden the rule. That kind of came yes. to mind. Otherwise, I feel like I'd be fishing, to be quite honest. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just about, you know, I mean, ultimately, Bible or not, you know, it comes down yeah. to just being a decent human being. Right, yeah. right. That, you know, and you're right. That's all it boils down to. Yeah. Because yeah. I think it's very easy to find the similarities to the, you know, you you can find similarities with the Bible to, to most things if, if, you know, you're looking. But sure. I, I want it to be genuine. And I feel like with this, I would just be making something up to make it fit. I struggled with that question. Mm-hmm. I think just because of the, the the current scenario of what this movie represents, it was hard for me to make it. Yeah. Besides yeah. just your I understand. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's more about, like, just following the general teachings in the mm-hmm. Red Letter. And as far as, like, the events in this movie would not have occurred if this, this, and this, you know, like right. if people were decent, if people were compassionate, if people treated everyone with equality and equity, like right. this exactly. movie wouldn't even happen. Yeah. Exactly. 
Well, guys, I don't have any more questions, but I do have five fun facts. Um, my first fun fact is um, due to the success of this film, Jordan Peele became the first African-American writer, producer, and director to earn more than $100 million in a debut film. I loved it. I love it. And the Academy Award he won for the screenplay. Yep. I know, right? Oh, my gosh. So amazing. Such a win for, for, for Black people and for horror. Yes. Yep. Um, and my fun fact for uh, uh, number two is um, the opening of the film is partially inspired by the opening of Halloween, 1978, which Jordan Peele described as a subversion of the perfect white neighborhood. Mm, I like that. I love that. Mm -hmm. That's phrasing. And fun fact number three is the original score was created entirely by Michael Abels, who is African-American, by the way, who had never worked on a film before, but who specializes in traditional concert music with influences from blues, jazz, and African music. Jordan Peele found um, one of Abels' um, orchestral uh, compositions, Urban Legends, on YouTube, and decided that this guy could terrorize some people in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> that song is really creepy at the beginning and end. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm going to put it on the group page tonight. <laughs> Because <laughs> yeah. I've never heard it. I've never heard it. So I'm, so I'm going to put it on the group page so we all can hear it. What I was really paying attention to with the music this time, too, was the, the songs that they, they selected for the ones with lyrics. Mm -hmm. um, the, the words and the songs with lyrics in this movie really speak heavily to the themes and story. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Especially the opening track where they're where you're just driving through the woods, basically. Yeah. Um, the stuff that is being said, I can't remember specifics off the top of my head, but the the music selection on this film was just completely on point. It it was Great. it really was. Um, my fun fact number four is um, in mid October two thousand seventeen. Jordan Peele surprised students at a UCLA class called Second Place, Racism, Survival, and Black Horror Aesthetics, a, a, uh, a course created after the success and popularity of this film. With the help of um, uh, Tanarive, or whatever her name is, Tanarive, do a college professor at UCLA Peel secretly set, sat in the last row as class was in session. And Professor Do asked the question, what do you think the director was trying to say about the coveting of black bodies? To which Peel raised his hand, much to the surprise and joy of the class once they recognized him. The students gave him a thunderous applause and a standing ovation as he went to the front of the class and Peel ended up teaching the students. 
the moment was briefly captured and shared on Twitter. Nice. Did, nice. You, did you have anything there of, of what he shared about the answer to that question? Uh, no. Do you? Mm. No, I was just wondering. Like, that's, no, that's he. Really uh, I I did not read anything uh, about that. Because obviously, that was you know the, the the theme of the movie was that you know like that that racism that the coveting of black bodies. Right. Right. You know, it's, it's kind of the the opposite of the typical racism you think of, which is just hatred. Right. Um, exactly. In this case, it's, it's like an envious racism. Right. You're yeah. right. <laughs> it's like uh, you know, the uh the Caucasian race secretly want to be us. You know. Right. And, and that's basically what he was saying in this movie anyway. Right. So and my fun fact number five is the film joins the handful of horror films to be nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture such as The Exorcist, which was in 1973, uh, Jaws in 1975, The Silence of the Lambs in 1991, and Black Swan in 2010. Now I'm going to have to watch Black Swan. I've never seen it. You've never seen Black Swan? Oh, I know. It's a phenomenal horror movie. I love it. Yeah, it's good. No, I, I wanted to. Movies. I've always wanted to, but I never just got the chance to watch it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it. Darren Aronofsky's done a lot of like really cool horror adjacent films like Requiem for a Dream, Black Swan, and his more recent one called Mother. Um, very, very kind of like horror adjacent. Very, very good stuff. Yeah, probably my favorite film of his. Nice. He's good. Yeah, I really like him a lot. <laughs> And now we move on to the cast and crew that's passed on. And there's actually quite a few. Um, oh. Yeah, there is. Uh, Richard Hurd, he played Roman Armitage. He died from cancer on May 26, 2020, at 87 years old. And then uh, there's uh, Nathan O'Neill Smith. He, he was a party guest. He was uncredited, though. Uh, but he died on November 23rd, 2018, at age 45. Oh. Yeah. Oh, but and then we go even younger for the last one. Um, John Burnecker. He was a stunt double for Caleb Landry Jones, which was Jeremy. Jeremy. Yes. Uh, he passed away on July 13th, 2017. At the young age of 33 in Atlanta, Georgia. That was like right after the movie was put out. Yep, right after. And he died because, you know, he was also a stunt double on The Walking Dead. And he, um, somehow or another, he fell, uh, I think they said 20 feet or something. Oh, was that the one that died on The Walking Dead set? Yep. I remember reading about that when it happened. They like, yeah, he fell from like a building or something. Yeah, I remember reading about it too. Uh, he died the next day in a in the um, Atlanta hospital. Yeah, they had they they stopped production for several weeks. I guess they did. Happened. Yeah. Mhm. Mm that was crazy. I remember reading about that. Yeah. 
It's so sad. He was only 33 years old. And I think right. his parents, um, his parents sued. Um, I'm about to say they sued The Walking Dead or or a or AMC or both. But um, I don't. I think uh, AMC was a part of that. I forget what I read right now. But um, but yeah. I do know that his parents had sued somebody um, within that, you know, within that circle, you know, The Walking Dead and stuff like that. Well, yeah, yeah. Right. We always want to, that's part of American culture too, is we always, we always want to sue somebody. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Uh, lawyer culture in America. <laughs> And now we go on to the grouper's reaction. Uh, I asked I asked my horror movie warriors group, uh, what makes this uh, movie scary? And I uh, and we I did get a, I got a lot of answers this time. Well, at least five that I know of. That I, I had five. I could there could be more now. But, my favorite um, response that I saw on there, Latrice, was the person that just said. Oh yes. <laughs> that was my personal favorite. <laughs> that was my personal favorite. I almost put it down. <laughs> like well like well we know what what makes it scary, but this is good conversation, okay? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so the first, uh, the first one I did write down was James Russell. Uh, he says, "I think the fact of impossible became the possible of what could happen for real, though, and it's not what you don't see coming. It's the fact he didn't have a suspicion of anything." And then Krista uh, Wagner uh, says, "Because this kind of thinking from rich white liberals does take place and she's kind of right about that uh and uh kayla selena merton she says i guess it's uh scary because it's something that could be true the human mind is so easily manipulated media has proven that to us for decades that with some effort you could definitely make this happen yeah. See, when you read that first one, it reminded me of uh, uh, what was the first one again? What was it? The uh, James Russell. He said, um, uh, "I think the fact of impossible became the possible of what God could. I mean, of what God of what could happen for for real, and it's not yeah. what you don't see coming." But it's the fact that he didn't have a suspicion of anything. Right. And that, that's what reminded me of one of the behind the scenes thing I saw. George Peele was talking about how he, unlike a normal horror movie, he wanted to make Chris smart mm -hmm. and have him like slowly piecing it together. And that part of the difficulty of the movie was not having the microaggressions and the other things that happened to him happen so fast that him not seeing it made him seem dumb but that they, he wanted it to be just very slowly 
and insidiously revealed and him like slowly putting the pieces together uh, throughout the film because he wanted him to be like an intelligent character. Yeah, well, he did a good job with that. <laughs> yeah. He did, he did a really good job with having Chris just slowly getting it, slowly but surely. Yeah. Putting it be like, wait a minute, this plus this plus this, what's going on? Right. Yeah. And man, kudos to that actor too, Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, oh yeah, super most definitely. British he actor. is a really good actor. I, yeah, his accent, his British accent is so thick. It's crazy how he changed his voice for the movie. Oh no, I feel that same way about um, Millie Bobby Brown, who does you know who does Stranger Things. You know she's eleven right. from Stranger Stranger Things, and she has no accent at all on that show. But then when you right. see her, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, her acid is just so thick. Yeah. So it, it, it's crazy how they can do that. But that just means that they are fabulous actors. Oh, yeah. Well, guys, we have come to the end of my podcast. I don't have any more questions or no more fun facts and no more people that have passed on and, and no more groupers reactions. So I, I just thank you guys for being here. Allison, I, I'm sorry that your hubby couldn't join us like he wanted to. Yeah, next time. Definitely. Because uh, you're with me in March again. You and your mom. I'm so glad your mother is going to join. I'm so excited. I love Miss Nell. <laughs> me too. <laughs> and uh, um. Uh, Nathan, I want you to tell the listeners about your podcast. Oh, I appreciate that opportunity. Um, yeah, um, at Latrice's uh, encouragement, I created my own horror movie podcast. Um, I, I online, I I was already going by the the moniker Necro Nathan, um, and so I called my podcast Necro Nathan Presents Satanic Sanctum. Um, and we have our own group page um, on on Facebook. You can look us up, Satanic Sanctum, or uh, just see one of my posts in the Horror Movie Warriors page, or look yes. me up as a friend Most named definitely. Nathan Dilla, D-I-L-L-A. You can look me up and, and find the page that way as well. Um, but yeah, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit different than Latrice's. <laughs> yes, um, but yes. But at the same time, it's very much inspired by... Um, what she has created with Horror Movie Warriors. You know, we have, uh, you know, different sets of questions and, you know, different movies often. And, you know, I just premiered Terror Trivia, which is kind of my version of her fun facts that she does. And, um, you know, it's always it's always me and my wife, Amanda, the Witch of Midway, that, that do it. And then occasionally we have guests on as well. Um, we're still in our first season. I think I'm going to do... Uh, 13 episode seasons so um so that that'll be a lot of fun and you know this month we've also been doing black history month and women in horror month trying to highlight movies in both uh categories um and our next one is actually going to be on monday i just did antebellum with latrice on her podcast last night um and this monday we are doing antebellum on satanic sanctum and latrice is going to be my guest yes 
Yes, yes, yes. Looking out for it shouldn't that. be too hard. <laughs> I still have my notes from last night. <laughs> yeah, and so I'll be posting links to both of our podcasts on the Antibiology on the group page and on my page. So be looking out for that horror brief. Yes, most definitely. And I'm so proud of Nathan. He is doing very, very well um, on his um, podcast. And um, Thank you. and uh, um. Yes, uh, as he, he was talking about my horror um, movie warriors group. Please yes. join us. Please join uh, my horror movie warriors group. Uh, and of course, you can join uh, Satanic Sexton um, as well. But um, uh, my group is growing leaps and bounds. I have, uh, at, well, as of today, I uh, have 447 members. So I can't wait. Uh, when I reach 600 members, I'm going to give away three uh, gifts to three random group members. So, um, uh, Allison, you're in the running for that, you know, and and you're also in the running for um, to win a gift uh, for my podcast guests because I my 100th episode is coming up, and I'm so excited about this. Uh, yes, he did. She won a she won a group. Yep, she won a group prize. She was one of three people to win a group prize, uh, and I want to say that was uh, I want to say it was last year sometime. Yeah, and uh, so uh, but um, on my one hundredth episode for my podcast, um, three uh, three podcast guests. Will will um will randomly win a prize. So Yay! you're in the running for that, and Nathan, you're in the running for that too. You and Amanda, you guys are both in the running for that. So, it, so and it, I it, that I I love that you do that, and like I'm at 81 people on my group now, and I I want to follow your lead because I think it's a great like instead of yes. a fun thing to do that when I reach a hundred. People in my group, I want to give out some prizes as well because yeah, and I think, I think you that's should. Such a great, great thing to do for your group members. Yeah, it's just um, I, I think it's a token of appreciation. You yeah. know, you know, uh, I mean, people make up these groups, and you know, they join your group because it's fun, and and I right. think that you should thank them. You know, I, that's my feeling anyway. So I think you should do that, Nathan. That would be good. That, yeah, I mean, that would be good. Again, I've taken my leads from you, and it's been more, it's just been inspirational, I guess. Well, thank you so much. I, I'm I'm glad that I can be an inspiration to you and to anybody else who wants to follow in my footsteps, you know. I, I think that's awesome. I think yeah. that's awesome. Well, Oh, and guys, if you guys want to email me, I do have an email address that you can email me at. Uh, email me any comments that you have or any questions that you have or if you want to know how to be a guest on the podcast. Um, my email address is carterlatrice126 at gmail.com. Again, that's carterlatrice126 at gmail.com. And you can... Um, uh, Use that email address for my PayPal account too. If you guys want to tip me some money, um, that would be very well appreciated as well. Um, 
because you know i i do think of this as a business you know i'm working right now <laughs> that's what I, that's what i you know I, I really feel like i'm working right now and and um and it would just mean the world to me if you guys could tip me um something um heck even if it's just three dollars or four dollars nothing is too big nothing is too small um you can tip me as much as you want or as less as you want so but that's all i have guys and until next week next week will be the close i I, can't, I cannot believe next week is the i think next week is the end of february it is yeah yeah and, and uh and the last two movies that i'm doing is uh tales from the hood i'll be doing that on thursday and then the people under the stairs i'm doing on friday now on Thursday's episode, I believe uh, Miss Ingrid is with me. Uh, Jeremy, uh, who was supposed to be on this podcast, but life got in the way, so he couldn't be a part of it. But um, he is supposed to be on next Thursday, and uh, Adrian Garza is supposed to be on next Thursday too. And um, then on Friday, um, talking about uh, um, the people under the stairs with me is. Mick Mack, uh, my fiance, Brian Wilson, um, Giddens V, who is a newbie to the podcast, and uh, Adrian Garza, again, he's going to be on both of them next week, so uh, so I can't wait for that, I can't wait for that, but until next week, guys, this has been Latrice Carter, Allison Stonewell, and uh nathan della and we'll see you guys later bye guys